Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Sabrina Sanchez, reporter at Campaign US, and my guest this week is Louis Smithingham, Director of Creative Solutions at MediaMonks. Smithingham has pushed forward innovation at MediaMonks for nearly five years, having worked with the company on several projects for years before joining full-time in 2020. He has taken his passion for gaming and marketing knowledge to bring creative solutions to brands entering virtual worlds. In his time there, Smithingham has helped launch client campaigns in games like Animal Crossing and Fortnite, and now he stands at the forefront of consolidation and growth in the gaming industry. Awesome. So, hey, Lewis, how are you doing today? It's great. I'm, I'm really great today. It is a sunny day here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I saw the bald eagles nearby my house this morning, so that was that was fun. So it's a good day. How are you? Well, it's cold in New York, uh, <laughs> so not as much fun, um, but I'm doing well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you know, you're joining me today, and we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Um, one of them being gaming, which you know there was that huge deal that was announced yesterday about Microsoft deciding to acquire Activision Blizzard, and I know we've talked about that a little bit. Um, but I just want to start with some more information on yourself. So you've been at Media Monks for about two years now. You started in 2020 full time, but you previously worked on a number of projects with Media Monks. And now you're leading real time innovation and work on VR and AR as part of your role. So you've been around for the gaming boom of 2020. You're a gamer. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how your work fits into that space and what it's like for you to be a part of that right now. So absolutely. Um, and it's funny, it is, it is quite cold here, but I do have a Fortnite themed throw blanket to keep me warm. Um, I think the core thing to understand about Media Monks and understand about myself is we're digital natives and I work in gaming, whether it's marketing of video games, creating video games, engaging with video games, guiding people through video games. Not, I mean, it is my, a large portion of my job, but I do it frankly because I'm interested in it. It's what I'm excited about. I'm taking days off uh, next month be when Horizon Zero Dawn comes out, for example. I mean, it, it it's something I'm extremely passionate about. It's something I live and breathe. And the thing that's great about Media Monks and the way we work together is the ability, the fact that we're, we enable our creators and our team members to work in the places where they're most passionate. Um, I, I think real-time and gaming are such core elements of our current culture and futures I mean, so much so I actually left New York City a few months ago and moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where Epic Games is based, mm -hmm. um, in part to sort of immerse our, myself in that culture. And I think um, it's such an exciting space to be playing in right now. Um, and it's so exciting to be able to look at new ways we can change culture, create culture, and tell stories that haven't been told before. Yeah, definitely. And so part of your role, you've worked on tech-oriented experiential products, and you've worked with notable brands like Xfinity and Old Spice. And I know you and I have talked about technology and gaming is now part of an experience for consumers. So give us some examples of how you've helped brands engage authentically in that space. Um, and this is personal for you. So maybe also talk about where some of your ideas originate from. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I think the core approach that we have towards technology right now and towards towards gaming and culture in general is if it's not interactive, it's broken. 
And so we look at using ways, whether it's creating our own interactive graphics tool for live streams or building out fully interactive game engine type experiences, interactivity, particularly if you're looking to capture consumers and engage with consumers, should be at the core of your offering. And to that end as well, that interactivity should have utility to it. So, you know, one project I think about a lot is we were working right at the beginning of the pandemic with Ally Bank, Ally Bank, uh, a bank. Uh, and a lot of people at the time, including myself, were playing a lot of Animal Crossing. For those unfamiliar with Animal Crossing, <laughs> um, it's effectively a debt simulator where you are in debt to this little raccoon on vacation. <laughs> and there is a stock market functionality. And it's it's very much a game about finance and collecting. And we the Ally Bank said, we want to do a thing in Animal Crossing. It's so cool. Why don't we give people free money in Animal Crossing? So that's cool. I mean, I, I'll take some, some free currency, but I think that's not enough. I'm struggling to pay off my bills in Animal Crossing. Can you, a bank, can you help give me advice as to how to prioritize and how to invest and how to engage? And so they set up an island where people, as well as getting free currency, could actually get financial advice and engage with some mini game mechanics where they were providing real value. And it was super successful. Um, I think that's a core aspect. We also did a great piece uh, with World of Warships last year, where we were looking at, um, and one of the things that's wonderful about Media Monks is you get into these, or the way our casting engine works is you get people in the room who actually do the thing and are engaged with the thing. So I really like that video game. I'm also somebody who builds model ships in my spare time and um, something I took on during the pandemic. Some people make banana bread, I make model ships. And we got to this amazing intro call with a client where it ended up me ended up being like it derailed the conversation a bit, but we ended up talking about, and I was showing my model ships and engaging and really showing why people like the game. And that gives clients confidence that when they portray a piece and they work with a work with us, they're able to really engage with authenticity within the brand. And again, as they grow these new projects, um, yeah. but it stems into another number of other places. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point. And just as an aside, I've been trying to get my hands on that OLED Animal Crossing switch for like the longest. So oh, if, yeah. you know, if you know where to get one, let me know. Um, yeah, no, it's it's really interesting when you talk about bringing value to gaming environments. And, you know, you we've talked about before about how this is an experience that, you know, a lot of gamers value as they would an in-person experience. Absolutely. So why is it important to sort of recreate that or create some of those memories? Well, I think so much of this, um, and I forgive me because I, I have a fine arts background and a lot of my artwork was around how we form memory and how we create memory. But I think a thing that's super important for people to realize and for brands and creators to realize is, and we're seeing this play out really clearly in the pandemic, but the way we engage with people online for people of our generation and, and for many people as well is the fact that it is very real to us. And the memories we form online, just because they occur in virtual worlds or occur online, doesn't give them any less value or any less realism. It is real. I, you know, I have memories of playing Red Dead Redemption with friends. I have one of my best friends, like it's a pandemic. He lives in California. I don't really get to, to hang out with him other than when I play NHL with him or when I play Fortnite with him. And I have memories of, you know, fending off 
<laughs> fending off our adversaries in Fortnite in a building and a helicopter crashes into the building, those memories are as real and as visceral as real life memories that I have or in-person memories that I have with my friends. And I think it's important for people and as brands to approach this, to engage with memory making and engage with how how real these experiences are for us. Because really, as this whole metaverse thing is sort of congealing, we have to think about the fact that it's so much is about just give, providing value and, and giving value and acknowledging value in virtual spaces. There's also like, and and this is a personal thing for me as well, for people with disabilities and, and, and accessibility issues, gaming provides a real outlet and a real space for you to be yourself mm. um, and to be a person that you can't necessarily be in real life and engage with people. Um, I mean, I myself, I'm severely immunocompromised, so I am effectively banned from interacting with people in person right now. And I have a huge, very rich life online. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons till two in the morning in VR last night with a friend. And just because we're doing it in headset rather than at my house, doesn't make that any less real and doesn't that make it any less meaningful for me. It's the same for me. And then sometimes it's better because I have I had a friend from a different part of the country playing with a friend in New York and I'm in North Carolina. That's very, very cool. And so when brands approach these spaces, they need to approach it with deference and with a sense of this is authentic, this is real, and how can we provide value to gamers? And then, because gamers, I think, get a bad rap for being kind of nasty and bitey. And I'm not saying that doesn't occur, but the gaming community wel welcomes people with open, open arms when they provide a value into those spaces. Essentially, don't just stick a sticker on it. Find a way to provide, a, a, provide value in that space. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, especially, you know, with regard to eliminating some of those barriers, you know, regional barriers or other barriers, like you said. Um, and there's a real opportunity here for brands. And it's kind of interesting, too, you know, because hearing you talk about this, we're thinking about the metaverse and we're thinking about how, you know, I've seen agencies opening offices in the metaverse yeah. or conducting interviews in the metaverse or even just other social platforms like TikTok or Discord. And so we're trying to get into like these non-traditional spaces. But, um, you know, you've had meetings before in gaming rooms. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how maybe that has, you know, boosted your re your relationship or um, strengthened yeah, your relationship? Yeah, absolutely. Time? There's an interesting theory, it's a psychological theory, I can't remember the name for it, where sharing in an activity together produces a stronger bond and produces uh, a memory. So if you're doing a thing together, you produce a memory because you remember doing the thing together, whether it's mini golf, go-karting, or playing a video game. And frankly, I sort of very quickly, I mean, we're a company, we're a global company, we're 7,000 people. Our day-to-day -day prior to the pandemic was video calls. So it was switching over was nothing really, honestly, that new for us. But when my entire day consisted of video call after video call after video call, and if we all remember quite painfully the level of echoes on those uh, those early calls, um, I got, frankly, I got bored of it. And so I started reasoning, hey, I play video games. A lot of my friends play video games. My clients are video game manufacturers. Wouldn't it just be more fun to to play in games and interact in games and have these same exact conversations 
that we are having right now in a game instead of on this video call. And then it, it got to this place where I was able to start getting meetings with people easier because instead of saying, hey, can I take 45 minutes of your time to talk about a thing on a video call? It's a lot nicer for a person to slot in a 45-minute Call of Duty round or a Fortnite round or a Red Dead Redemption round. And so, you know, instead of being on a Zoom call or a Google Hangout, we I have a great memory. One of my early client meetings with this was we played a ton of Red Dead Redemption together. And we rode, we were doing horseback rides, which was really pleasant, really, really nice shared activity. You know, we're riding a horse across the West. For those who haven't played Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption is a beautiful game. It's really, really well rendered mm-hmm. and really has really wonderful mechanics as far as horse riding. And we were finally started digging into business conversations and out of nowhere, a, a mountain lion jumped out off the trail and attacked my client. Um, and I turned to shoot the mountain lion uh, and shot my client in the face and <laughs> ended the meeting. <laughs> and, it, you know, instead of being this like, oh, this is a cat- catastrophe, it's now a joke that we bring up together. And it's something we talk about. And it's a memory. And it's, it's genuinely a, a memory and a joke we have together. And it's a lot more fun because, I, I mean, again, I, like, do you remember details of any Zoom call that you've been on? Other than what was said, maybe not really. You can't be like, oh, remember Wednesday three months ago when we were on Zoom together? No, but you do remember. Hey, remember when we when I shot <laughs> you in the face when a mountain lion attacked us? That's awesome. That's fun. And so we started doing that. I started, I started doing little jokes where I like when we were had banking clients, I would hit them up to play GTA Online and <laughs> rob banks with them. And I would meet with clients in Animal Crossing. I think one of my favorite experiences in Animal Crossing was I, uh, it's, you know, it's really annoying to mine or to, to get the rare fish, you have to get fish bait. Well, I found out, unfortunately, that you can purchase this on eBay. And I started setting up meetings with clients. And at the beginning of the meeting, I would show up with a couple hundred fish bait to give the client, which if you play Animal Crossing, like, 100 fish bait is a meaningful gift um, just for metric purposes to make to craft fish bait in the game takes roughly a minute and 30 seconds, depending upon the animation. And that's a lot of time. So providing that as a gift was a meaningful thing for that. And I think the, I, the final sort of thing we've been playing around with a lot is we've been working um, in Oculus workrooms, um, which has been really Horizon workrooms, which has been really interesting uh, a big part of my job is interacting with Sir Martin, and I've been in person with him once, but that was not – I met with him multiple times in VR prior to meeting him in person. And being in a space where you're interacting like that gives a real sense of presence. I remember my first presentation in Horizons to the board, and I look out into this virtual conference room, and there's these – set of eyes that are all different board members staring right back at me. Unfortunately, at the time, the blink cycle animation for Oculus was like once every 45 seconds, which meant that these just like avatars are staring you straight in the face, <laughs> which, which was like a little distressing, but also super cool. And I think the final thing I'll say, you know, as a person with pretty gnarly ADHD, I like when I'm on a Zoom call, when I'm on a Hangout, I'm sorry, I keep using Zoom as an eponym, but when I'm on a video call, 
I, um, you know, I have email popping and I have Slack pinging and my cat's yelling for food and there's like all these distractions. But when you go into a virtual space and you're engaging and you're interacting, you get presence back that is and a, and a level of focus uh, that, that comes from having your hands on a controller in the sense that like, you know, I'm when I'm playing Fortnite, I'm not. I'm not, I mean, it's funny, I use the word playing, but we need to, I need to start, we need to start thinking about another verb there. But when we're engaging with games, we're in that space, we're in that moment. And that's super important, particularly in a time right now where like, you know, we started this call talking about how it all sort of schmears together every day. But remembering these moments and creating these spaces has been really fun and has created a way, honestly, to 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 spice up meetings and do more interesting stuff. And also, and I, I say this, a bit cavalierly, I, I challenge some of our competitors, if you're not playing the video game your client is making, why are you having anything to do with it? If you don't like it, there's other stuff you can work on. Like if you're interested in video games, you should be ready to take a meeting with the client, with your client in the meeting, they in the game they play, because those people are so passionate about what they do. And you should be as well. And I think that's like, I'm so deeply privileged to, to be able to work like this, but being able to work on stuff, and this is what Media Monks, and honestly a big part of why I joined Media Monks, being able to work on stuff that we're genu genuinely excited about and genuinely enjoy and genuinely would list as an interest is, is awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really exciting to hear you talk about this because I can hear how passionate you are. And I'm just... I'm laughing, thinking to myself, like, I hope no one isolates this audio where you say, like, my client got attacked by a mountain lion and I shot him in the face. Um, you know, but it's it's memorable. It's a it's a memorable visual. Um, and I totally hear what you're saying about, you know, um, creating meaningful connections, not just with clients, not just with employees, but also with consumers. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that as well. Yeah. We we spoke about this recently, but you know, yesterday Microsoft announced that it acquired Activision Blizzard, and also Take Two is going to acquire Zynga. Yep. Um, so, what does this mean for both these companies, for the gaming space, and for marketers? I mean, the thing about the gaming space that we have to realize is the gaming space is a lot bigger and a lot more culturally momentous than most people tend to think. There's this weird sort of like perception, and maybe it is because we use the word playing when we talk about games, but there's this weird perception that games aren't art and that games aren't a meaningful form of commerce. They're just sort of video games. And that's frankly, I mean, this this acquisition is, is our merger is an acknowledgement of the fact that that's just frankly not true anymore. I mean, even from a base level, so when you look at the Travis Scott event that happened a couple, I, I, well, in 2020, 26 million unique users went into that game. And not only did they go into their, this isn't like, you know, a quick impression on a Facebook page. It's a 15 minute experience that you have to have your hands on the controller for. Like they, people were there. And if you compare that to an average, like, or to actual physical events and you start, you know, 26 million puts you in the top 10 physical events of the in like recorded human history. And the rest of the things in that are basically Rod Stewart at Rio and religious pilgrimages. Now, in terms of the financial aspects of this, 
you know, you're seeing all these similar moves occurring. And this reminds me of like the golden era of cinema where you're seeing, you know, RGA and MGM come up and all these really, really huge mergers and acquisitions. And we're seeing, you know, you see Sony taking stakes in Epic, for example, earlier in the year. And you see like this massive move from Microsoft where Microsoft has done similar moves in the past and Sony has as well. If you start seeing, as you start to see these things, you're seeing this industry really grow and grow in such an accelerated rate because it's such a central part and a core part of our culture. And I think that means, A, we need to take notice and finally acknowledge that gaming is 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 huge and real and bigger than most other things in culture at this point in time, but also, and, and to that end, take it seriously, but also from that end, take notice on the fact that what's core culturally and, and, and from a from a perspective, like what, why is gaming so big? And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that a, frankly, the stories that are available in games are so much more varied right now, but also the fact that it allows agency and so much, so many other parts of our culture today lack the the ability to have agency and engage, interact and make something your own. And as these gaming industries grow, what's, what's been really incredible to see occur is while you do get these big triple A games, you know, Activision makes a number of them, you also have an amazing space for indie games and new stories to grow and stories that quite frankly, like perhaps wouldn't get told normally, but have a space and have an audience for it in a way that like, it's, it's very difficult to make, to get a small feature made these days. You know, most features are being spent, most money's on feature, most money on features is being spent on these gigantic temples. Um, I'm not saying anything against Marvel movies, but I'm also saying like there needs to be a place for small productions to occur. And gaming, you know, you can take a game like Stardew Valley, which is literally made by one person and become a huge cultural phenomenon that ends up getting purchased. And I think in terms of this acquisition, this is showing a this is a meaningful cultural space. I also think there's a big portion of this relating to this massive shift in Moore's law and also connectivity at home. Obviously Xbox pass is going to be a major part of this. It's a content acquisition. And so providing really high tier content for Xbox pass is probably a lot of what Microsoft is attempting to do here. Activision has an amazing back catalog stretching all the way back to Tony Hawk Pro Skater and a couple other games prior to that. Uh, they're one of the early game studios as well. And so being able to add that that stuff to Xbox Pass, which is a really interesting space as we're seeing cloud gaming really take strength, particularly as home internet gets faster, we're seeing a rollout of that. We saw, I mean, to me, the big stories coming out of CES this year were either around uh, home internet, so Verizon providing these massive amazing 5g antennas for people to have at home these 5g modems which allows people to have you know 1900 by i think it's 200 up and that means you can do meaningful 4k gaming on a cloud host at at ultra low latency and then at the same time the other stuff that was interesting was when you look at the display technology that came out of this um, at ces you're seeing massive very very expensive displays coming from people like Samsung and LG that are specifically designed with features for gaming. You know, 120 hertz is not needed to watch movies. In fact, depending upon who you ask, 
uh, it may make movies look worse if you're a cinephile who likes filmic projection. But 120 hertz for playing a video game is is a minimum. So I guess the point I'm making is we are seeing this is ind indicative of a cultural shift. This is indicative of the value of virtual space and the value of that sort of IP uh, in a way that I think is, is, is interesting. But it's also like to some degree, like it makes sense, like it's predictable. And as you see these places grow and as you see, you'll start to see other companies start to get closer to IPOs or merge. And I think we're seeing this, you know, the studio system play out, but with large gaming companies as well. Yeah, so that's really interesting um, because I am curious to get your thoughts on how do you expect consolidation in gaming to affect how marketers can reach gamers or consumers more broadly? And, you know, how will brands work with gaming companies moving forward? I think gaming companies, are because they're becoming the big players in the room, and you see this starting to happen more and more. Gaming companies are interesting because they they play hard to get in a way that other clients don't, because they know they're very hot right now, and they they really there's like a weird, I say this as a nerd, but like a weird like ha <laughs> the popular kids want to steal our homework now <laughs> vibe out of this where like you know they 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 demand authenticity and they demand to put people in the room. Like if you want to work with Fortnite and you show up and play Fortnite with a Fortnite client, you better have a high Fortnite score. You better have a high number in that space. And I think that's what we're seeing and how marketers work in terms of these, these conglomerates. My hope is that these bigger studios create a space where smaller games can grow and where they're able to serve gamers in better and more meaningful ways. And we see some of that working from a marketing perspective we work with riot games quite a bit and so with some of our work for riot valorant we we were asked to cast people who played the game and the client demanded more um, from us in ways that other clients don't necessarily demand and demanded a level of authenticity and specific knowledge which was honestly necessary because because it's such a nuanced space and you see so clearly the Steve Buscemi meme where, you know, hello, fellow kids. You see that play out so quickly and so easily and frankly so poorly time and time again. And it's important even from the basic of like we've done banner ad campaigns for things like Doom, uh, also a Microsoft property, uh, where, you know, it – there's in-jokes and there's ways to talk to gamers that are different and gamers demand that and these game companies will demand that. I think as they get bigger, my hope is that access will get greater. We see that with some of the big gaming companies that are providing uh, providing more funding to small studios, which is awesome. And you see games like the things I, I love about the gaming industry are when you see you know, games like Death Stranding as a tentpole game which is effectively a walking simulator, but was a temple and was feels very, very niche, but was a huge big deal. And that, that like, what excites me most about this is, is the, the idea that we are, we are able to tell more stories and that marketers are able to create stuff that matters. You know, I think something I come back to a lot um, and I, 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 I do openly accuse um, Stephen Colbert of stealing this bit or John Oliver of stealing this bit from me. Um, one of my formative memories, and it's funny, like my earliest memories are of playing video games, 
playing video games on a Mac Proforma and then playing video games on DOS. And when Doom came out, I was too young to play it, according to my parents. Um, but I saw my friends, older siblings play it, and I really wanted to play it because it was cool, but it was too scary and would give me nightmares. And mm. some genius uh, over at General Mills said, you know what, we're going to – I can't even imagine being in this meeting in like – I think it's like 1995 because this sounds so absurd at the time, but now it sounds like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So they licensed the Doom game engine. Reskinned it with like shredded wheat cereal, put a random character like the the only real references to cereal are like the character is a check cereal thing, and then there's occasionally <laughs> like cereal boxes around, but they basically made Doom for little kids, and then distributed a hundred million <laughs> CDs in cereal bar CD-ROMs and CD and cereal boxes like a la like. American online and it sounds so insane, but it corresponded to a 300% increase in, in checks, in the sale of checks. And it, the reason I, my reasoning for that is like a marketer went in and said, there's a ton of 10 year olds out there that can't play doom, but really want to play doom. Let's give them doom for kids and slap a checks logo on it somewhere. And it has a cult following. It's been remade. I absolutely eat Czech cereal because of it. I, if I look at a Czech cereal box right now or any Czech's product, I immediately think of Czech's Quest, which was like 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And that's where marketers need to start thinking. Um, and it sounds absurd, but we're talking i'm talking about an ad campaign from 20 years ago in visceral detail and that's important and that matters and that mean that means it made an impact and i think you look at brands like old spice does this really really well and some of our work with old spice where old spice really leans into creating these arguably stunt based memories you know we did a piece for old spice where we built an animatronic robot squid from space that was trapped in the body of a teenage boy, but it wasn't a squid, it was an octopus, and people from the internet control individual tentacles. And super memory-making campaign created a cult following. And I think as we start thinking about, as marketers, as we start thinking about it, there's an interesting thing when people ask me, like, Lewis, what do you do? Like, I don't, I don't work in advertising. I make cool stuff, and brands happen to be the patrons for it. <laughs> and that's how brands need to start thinking because if, and it's the same thing. And particularly as we get into a world without cookies and particularly we get into a world where users start to realize their value is their data, they become more protective of it and they demand more and they demand utility from that. Absolutely. And so, you know, as a way to kind of wrap up, um, one of the things that has come up when we talk about the future of gaming especially under these new acquisitions and all these deals that are happening. Um, one of the things that come up a lot is data, right? And so I've seen some posts online about this Microsoft deal and how Microsoft is also trying to acquire Xander and data capabilities. So what's something to keep in mind for marketers moving forward as they try to also, you know, capture some more insight on the gaming community? 
I mean, I think the gaming community more than any because they are inherently a tech native group, um, but also a group with diverse backgrounds. And also like there's a perception that it's just for kids and you know, that that's, that's just not true because you can buy $800 gaming headsets um, that like you can, a good gaming PC, like a entry level, actually not even good, like an entry level gaming PC starts out at like two grand. A PS5 is expensive <laughs> right now. And Xbox is as well. I think gamers know their value as data sets and are defensive and tech literate of that. And so res inherently respond poorly when their data is misused. Um, I mean, I, I'm somebody like I've, I, this is one of my few places where I'm a full on sort of nihilist futurist in the sense that like, I tend to think security and privacy is, is generally dead and over at this point. And if you really want that, you should live in a cave, like a cave or the woods. And I totally respect that. It's just not for me. I tend to get less angry about my data being used and more angry about it getting misappropriated. Um, I don't, I mean, a core example of this, and I, I say this a lot, but it's like I bought a car um, for the first time uh, a couple um, a couple months ago. Why am I still seeing ads for buying cars? Why are you wasting my existence by showing me these things? Instead, use my rich paper trail to realize that I need new gaming headsets and I value audio tremendously and wireless show, wirelessly show me the best gaming headsets. Don't show me this is the best cars of 2022. Like I already bought one. I'm not doing it again. And I think gamers, because they understand how data works and they understand their value as consumers, they demand more from how their data is going to be used. And I think people will give over their data if there's a return. And I think that's the biggest thing that marketers need to to remember is marketing is is no longer just about selling a product. It's also about creating a thing for the consumer themselves because marketing has become less tangible. It's not about, oh, what's the most showy TV TV spot like these days? It's just not. It's it's about how do we create a way to silence the noise a bit and bring honestly value and interest back to the, the consumer. One thing I just, I, I wanted to add as well, the thing that's that's really interesting for marketers and for data sets about, about gaming is when you start looking at the sort of data that you can get from, you know, I've like 300 hours in Skyrim. I have a couple hundred hours in Fortnite. The sort of data you're getting out of that is really data about how I think and how I move and what I look at and what takes my attention. And when you start thinking about, like marketers have really interesting value they can pull for themselves from that data because you start seeing, you know, literal like 360 degree 3D heat maps as to what draws people what people's attention, what people are interested in. And if, and I think Microsoft is doing this, what if marketers can gain access to that data and create things, there's tremendous opportunity um, you know, and I think that's part of as we move into these these 3D worlds and geospatial AR tracking and all that sort of stuff, there's really tremendous opportunity for marketers uh, to have. I mean, I, I when I lived in Brooklyn, uh, I lived in a neighborhood. I'm I'm vegan, and there's a lot of vegan restaurants in that neighborhood. And 
it was always weird to me that there was this block where there were three vegan restaurants and there was a billboard for KFC. Like, and then like six blocks up, there was a billboard for Beyond Meat. And like, if you, why, why is that? And so as you start to think about gaze-based tracking and geospatial data in video games, you have that data and that information to really predict and provide value. Yeah, for sure. That's a really interesting point too. Um, you know, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this deal and also Zynga's deal with Take-Two in terms of how marketers can access this data and reach people on all these different screens as well. One thing that people need to realize about these recent acquisitions is not only is this about buying IP, but it's also about buying know-how and labor force. There's a shortage of people that understand games and know how to make them and create them right now. And it's something that marketers need to take note of. If their customers and their clients are staffing up gaming personnel, you need to start looking at hiring your own gaming personnel. You need to start looking at like how many people do you have on staff that really understand Unreal, that really understand Unity, that really understand how to create with these tools and make with these tools. Because as we see, you know, demand shifting into creating in those spaces, if your entire workforce is oriented around creating 30-second TV spots or billboards, and all of a sudden the thing that is selling are interactive experiences in a video game, you need to you'll need to pivot your workforce really, really quickly. And so I think looking into ways that you can educate and bring up a new workforce is really interesting. And I think for people that are in the workforce right now, what's tremendous, and this is so awesome that so many of these major gaming companies are doing this, you can get a next level gaming training for basically nothing, if not nothing at all. You know, there are hundreds I learned mostly to program on YouTube uh, and you know, you can learn that as well. And Unreal and Unity all offer really in-depth training. And a lot of these tools are free. It's amazing to think that the most, like one of the most powerful gaming engines in the world, you can just go online. If you have the storage space, you can download it and start programming and start working with it. And so I think as, as this, sh this shift represents also, also for marketers, a prediction of like, hey, if your workforce isn't working in this space, you're being left behind. And I think, you know, a core aspect of all these shifts to virtualization that we're seeing is if you don't have a strategy on how to work virtually, you are a company in 1999 without a strategy for web. And it's already happening. We're already moving into that space. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. Um, and, you know, I think we talked about this earlier too, but this new age of consolidation is also going to merge a lot of really good talent. Perfect. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you again, um, you know, for chatting about this and I look forward to seeing what happens now, Yeah. you know, um, but thanks again for joining me. Absolutely. Anytime. This is really, really fun. What other games are you playing right now, by the way? Um, I'm actually playing Township on my phone. Oh, how is it? Ah, oh, it's so much fun. So it's kind of like Farmville, but, like or Townsville? Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I absolutely, I absolutely played that. Yeah. So now it's on mobile, um, and it kind of has like integrations with other mobile games too. So it's really fun. I'm I'm building my little town. I'm trying to expand my land right now. So you just said it has, and that's something that's interesting in this context. It has integrations with other mobile games, and I think 
that's something that's so great about games is the interconnectedness between them and the fact that, that culture shares so much. Um, it's, I mean, and even these small mobile games, it's, it's fascinating how awesome they are. I, I just finished Metro Exodus, but I'm playing cookie clicker in the background right now, which is, I, I can't believe how addicted I am to this game, but it's, it's excellent. <laughs> well, that's fun to hear. And hopefully, you know, um, like we were talking about earlier, there's going to be more access with games and be able to do more. So yeah, looking forward to it. You know, I mean, I think we've talked about a lot of really important points here for marketers to, you know, just kind of think about, sit on it. And once these deals close, if they haven't already, dive into gaming. So um, I really appreciate your time, Louis. Thank you so much for joining me today and um, talking through these really important points. And hopefully this gives marketers the nudge they need to dive into this space. So thank you. I, I really appreciate that. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry and we'll see you next time. Thank you.